welcome to Front Office Sports Today. It's Friday, February 3rd. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter. We have some juicy drama and a really great interview in this one, so let's jump right in. Madison Square Garden is seeking a special permit to stay exactly where it is in New York City permanently. And you might think Madison Square Garden is a beloved New York institution. It's the home of the New York Knicks and Rangers. It's a storied concert venue. Of course, it will be exactly where it is forever. And that's not the situation we're in. Ten years ago, MSG's 50-year permit was expiring, and New York officials, instead of giving them another five decades, they gave them one decade. And at the time, they said, please use this decade to find another home for the garden. The reason is that MSG sits on top of Penn Station, a transit hub that is equally important to the city as Grand Central Station, but while Grand Central is a beautiful tourist destination that gets used in movies, Penn Station is none of that. Of course, MSG hasn't moved anywhere, and now everyone involved here has to figure out if they're going to do another 10-year permit, 50 years, the permanent one MSG is asking for, or something else. And again, maybe you would think MSG and New York City have all kinds of goodwill toward each other, they need each other, they'll work something out no problem. But Madison Square Garden and the Knicks and Rangers are not just owned by some anonymous billionaire, they're owned by James Dolan. And Dolan has been in the news lately for a different reason. He has a policy that any lawyer whose firm is in active litigation against MSG Sports, which owns the Knicks and Rangers, or MSG Entertainment, which runs the company's venues, namely the Garden itself, and also Radio City Music Hall, and the under-construction MSG Sphere, any lawyers whose firms are suing those companies are not allowed in the venues. The real issue that's going on here is our policy of not letting attorneys, right, and who are suing us into, into our building until they're done. That was Dolan, by the way. It doesn't matter if you're working on a case involving MSG, you could be a tax attorney or a divorce lawyer who works for a firm that has another division suing one of those companies and you're not allowed in. Okay, but how do you actually enforce that? One way is to stop those people from buying tickets, but they can have a friend buy tickets or even buy them from someone selling them outside the venue. But MSG has an answer for that, facial recognition technology. Facial recognition, right, is just a technology, right? I mean. When I walked into the, into the studio, right, did you recognize my face? I did. Facial recognition. If you're on the list and MSG knows what your face looks like, you're not allowed in. In one incident, a lawyer who was taking her daughter's Girl Scout troop to see the Rockettes at Radio City Music Hall was prevented from entering. MSG says this is not about punishing anybody, it's about ensuring that no one is collecting evidence in some uncalled-for way, and not everyone buys that, especially because Dolan himself has described this policy in more vindictive terms. If somebody sues you, right, that's, that's confrontational. If you're being sued, right, you don't have to welcome the person into your home, right? Now, the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, sent a letter to MSG Entertainment saying the policy may violate civil rights laws, and at least one state senator wants the city to use the expiring permit to get the company to drop the policy. So we've got an elected official, we've got the AG, and we have the State Liquor Authority, who's investigating whether the garden is in violation of its liquor license, because to have a New York liquor license, you have to be broadly open to the public. But Dolan, so far, has been totally defiant. He made an appearance on Fox 5's Good Day New York and said, And they're saying, we're going to take away your liquor license. So I have a little surprise for him. What we're going to do, right, is we're going to pick a night, maybe a Rangers game, and we're going to shut down all the liquor and alcohol in the building. Then Dolan held up a flyer with the picture and contact information of the chief executive of the New York State Liquor Authority, Sharif Kabir, so that fans could, quote, tell him to stick to his knitting. 
I don't know what's going to happen here. I just find myself wondering if James Dolan was on a secret mission to get everyone in New York mad at him at the same time, how would he be acting differently? Okay, let's head down the East Coast to Baltimore, where we have a story that's a mix of good, positive feelings and a ton of drama. On Wednesday, we got news that the Baltimore Orioles are declining an option for a five-year extension on their lease at Camden Yards, which is owned by the state of Maryland and is, I would say, one of the three or four most iconic baseball stadiums in the country. Now, this is not because the team wants to leave Camden, quite the opposite. According to the Baltimore Sun, they're saying, let's not kick this down the road another five years. Let's make a long-term commitment and do something big. The team reportedly wants a deal of at least 10 or 15 years, and they want it by July. Their current lease expires at the end of this year. And there's some state money waiting for them to make that happen. The previous governor signed a law allowing both the Orioles and the Baltimore Ravens to borrow up to $600 million each for stadium improvements. And part of the reason the Orioles didn't want a five-year deal is they want to spend more time on both fixing up Camden and developing the surrounding area. These days, as you may have noticed, stadium projects are rarely just about the stadium. Quite often, it's the stadium, but it's also a whole neighborhood around it with new housing, offices, retail, concert venues, parks. That's the new model. It's something I want to dive into in a deeper way in a future episode. On Wednesday, the team and Maryland Governor Wes Moore issued a joint statement saying they're committed to, quote, creating a long-term, multi-decade public-private partnership that both develops and revitalizes the Camden Yards complex as a magnet for sports tourism and leverages Maryland taxpayers' investment in the property. Orioles chairman and CEO John Angelos did not hold back with his rhetoric around this. He said the project could, quote, redefine the paradigm of what a Major League Baseball venue represents and thereby revitalize downtown Baltimore and act as a catalyst for Baltimore's second renaissance. That all sounds good and happy, but I mentioned there is drama here, so where's the drama? The drama is in the Angelos family. The team is owned more than 70% by John Angelos' parents, Peter and Georgia Angelos. Peter's 93 and his health is failing. The Angelos family got very rich through Peter's law practice, where he represented people who suffered from asbestos poisoning. So there are two major assets that are kind of in flux right now. One is the Orioles, and the other is the law firm. On the law firm side of this, we just got news on Thursday that an attorney named William J. Murphy has been appointed conservator of the firm, and he will decide if it will ultimately be sold or dissolved. As for the Orioles, no one is saying the team is for sale, but it came out last September that Georgia had retained Goldman Sachs to assess a possible sale. The main reason that information became public is because Georgia and Peter's other son, Louis Angelos, is suing Georgia and John Angelos, alleging that the two of them are working to take control of the family fortune, including the Orioles. He also said that the two of them, his mother and brother, drew down a bank account held by Peter Angelos that once had $64 million and now has less than $1 million to shield that money from lawsuits against the law firm. Louis, who's managing the law firm, tried to sell it to himself, and Georgia sued him for that, saying it constituted theft and elder abuse. So we have the patriarch, Peter Angelos, who may not have much time left. We have his wife, Georgia, who was interested in selling the Orioles not too long ago. We have Orioles chairman and CEO John Angelos, who is saying we're going to make a major commitment to the team and to revitalizing Baltimore. And we have Louis, who is suing his brother and mother to get what he says is his rightful piece of the pie. And I'm not going to really get into all this right now, but all of this is messing with the sale of the Washington Nationals because they share a regional sports network, Masson, with the Orioles under an arrangement that is kind of screwing them over and making them hard to sell. But good luck negotiating your way out of that with the Orioles right now. There's also a lot of litigation between those two teams and Masson. 
All right, for our last segment, on Sunday we have the Pro Bowl, and it's going to be unlike any Pro Bowl in history. It won't be tackle football, it will be flag football, and the Manning brothers are coaching the AFC and NFC teams. There's going to be a dodgeball game, there's going to be skills competitions, one of which involves a dunk tank. And to get into what the NFL is up to with all this, I had a great conversation with NYU professor Dr. Brandon Brown, which you'll hear right after this. Two thousand, two thousand eight, twenty twenty two. When it comes to the economy, those are some scary years. Dot com crash, housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through right now. One thing is certain: it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. But over thirty one thousand businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on Netsuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. Netsuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting, so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need, all in one place. So, how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer: Netsuite. Netsuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improved their visibility and control when they upgraded to Netsuite. What are you waiting for? Right now, Netsuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com/frontoffice right now. netsuite.com/frontoffice. netsuite.com/frontoffice. Okay, we're joined today by NYU professor Dr. Brandon Brown. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm good, Owen. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Doing great. Yeah, we're, we're talking about the Pro Bowl, but let, let's get to know you a little bit. So uh, what do you study? What do you teach? And uh, yeah, give us the, the lowdown. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. I am a clinical associate professor at NYU's Tisch Institute for Global Sport. Uh, my background is in sport marketing. Specifically, I uh, cater my research efforts and my teaching around sport and identity. So that can kind of lead to culture in and of itself. But in that I'm in marketing, uh, I, I like to use culture as a means to almost create marketing plans, culture as a means to help build brands and teach about building brands through the means of identification and uh, who humans are before they actually start to research into what they like as consumers. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And I, I saw in your bio, you, you also work for the Mets for a bit. Uh, very cool. I'm, you know, I'm a Mets fan. Um, and so I, I won't blame you for anything that's gone wrong in the past <laughs> many decades, really. A-okay, <laughs> A-okay. I'm also a big time Mets fan. I grew up a Mets fan and I was fortunate enough to work for the Mets for a couple of years. Uh, it was right before my PhD. I was in sales for a couple of years and then they were super cool. The last year, uh, they knew that I was going to leave eventually to do the PhD. And so it was almost kind of like a, hey, it's your last hoorah here. Do a bunch of different things. So they were super cool. They got me involved in ballpark operations. I did some tours and stuff. They got me involved a lot. They were they were great. Nice to hear that the, the team you root for is you know good to their employees. They say don't do it, but I did it, and I came out on brighter end. So good for me, I guess. All right, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like a version of meeting your heroes is working for your team. <laughs> Right. Uh, so let's talk Pro Bowl. So, you know, speaking of, of marketing and positioning and looking toward the future, the NFL is making some major changes to the, the Pro Bowl this year. First of all, it's now called the Pro Bowl Games, and there's going to be obviously a football game, but it's not going to be a tackle game. It's going to be a flag football game. And there's going to be some kind of goofy competitions as well. There's going to be a dodgeball game, uh, something they're calling precision, precision passing and a bunch of other stuff. So... 
what's the NFL up to here? Well, I can't say for sure, but here's my thought process on the whole thing. So I, I, I see the success of the NBA All-Star. I see the success of how baseball just changed its All-Star weekend up and kind of changed the format of the Home Run Derby. And that was met with a lot of success. And I think they've been doing it for a number of years. I I can't but help think that the success of these other All-Star events kind of influenced them one way or the other to not just concentrate on the game itself, but some of the fun activities where we can see kind of the personalities of the players and see kind of some of the like outside factors involved with football that aren't directly football, right? Athleticism and stuff like that. Hey, that's in football. It's not directly football, but because it's within football, let's showcase some of that stuff. Let's showcase some of that stuff via some of the best of our athletes. Yeah, I think personality is a key word there. Uh, I mean, we've got the the Mannings are going to be coaching the um, the AFC and the NFC team, Eli Manning and Peyton Manning. And they're, of course, it, they kind of made this huge splash having the, the Manning cast. It's not actually called the Manning cast, but, you know, they're, it's the two yeah. of them just watching games, kind of making fun of each other uh, just in on their couches. It feels like super relatable and personal. And it's a big pivot from what was just the NFL's all-star game, which, as far as I can tell, no one really cared about before. I'm not too sure if they haven't just completely bought into the idea that this is an entertainment forefront, right? Like, I think it takes a lot of people, fans especially, to kind of get their head around the idea that this isn't necessarily professional sports. This is entertainment. So I'm not too sure if the NFL doesn't just buy into that, you know, realizing their success of the Manning cast, if you will, and just say, hey, let's go all out. Other sports are obviously making this about entertainment via their all-star breaks and whatnot. So let's do that as well, right? If we aren't just entertainment as it is via our games in the first place, let's make the Pro Bowl kind of a medium to showcase that in and of itself, right? This is a great place for entertainment, and we want to put that on the forefront via this weekend. Yeah, and all-star games have always been in this weird in-between zone where it's supposed to be, you know, the the biggest stars, like, duking it out, like, showing, like, who is the best of the best. But it's evolved over the years to, like, well, no one actually wants to get hurt playing this game that doesn't count. You know, people are starting to find excuses out of it. And, And so, yeah, I think they're finally kind of making that pivot from, like, the Clash of the Titans to just... Let's goof around and have fun. Let's let's have a dodgeball game. Let's let's get a little silly here. Oh, 100, man. I, I think as well. You know, they find all some like uh, the best of both worlds, and that they're doing that as well as finding some ulterior motivations. If they're turning it into a flag football game, I know there's some partnerships behind the scenes that's working out well for them. And I think the NFL just has this idea of just kind of expanding its footprint in terms of what it means to be the NFL. I think. They've got a unique situation, right? You can't say soccer is the EPL because soccer can also be La Liga. Soccer can also be uh, the MLS, for uh, for example. I think the NFL has an opportunity to almost be synonymous with football. And so when you kind of transition into flag football, and if you can put a print of the NFL on that, I think you've got an opportunity to really expand your footprint. Also, I mean, the NFL has managed to kind of dance around the whole concussion thing pretty successfully in terms of it not hurting their brand, not hurting their revenue. Uh, but there's, you know, the, a next generation of parents who is their kid going to play football or basketball or track or some rowing, whatever it is, something else in high school and college. A, a lot of folks are not going to let their kids do that if if they're worried about concussions. So I'm I'm. Th- thinking of this as like the NFL is embracing flag football as, like you said, an extension 
of football, of the NFL, of something where they can say, you, you can you can have your cake and eat it too. You can play football and it's not going to be dangerous. You're not going to get concussed because they're, they're, they're not knocking each other over. They're just grabbing a flag. Yeah, I think you're right on point with that, right? And if we can say that football is the NFL, then that's, that's a heck of a feat for the NFL in and of itself as a brand, right? So, I mean, kids going around the, you know, at, at a young age playing flag football and then saying I'm playing the same thing as the NFL players, you know, it means something to the kids as well. And I think it also kind of gets on a level of seeing the NFL, not just flag football, but I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, a lot of high schoolers, as preparation for college, are, are very big into seven-on tournaments, and those are non-tackle sports as well. I think there's a hidden market over there. Again, all kind of coming down to this common denominator of we're trying to be football. We're not trying to be the NFL, which is this specific version of tackle hit hard football, if you will. Yeah, and of course, the league's also trying to expand overseas. This gives you know other countries, other cultures who maybe they don't want to embrace tackle football sort of a another way in or it feels maybe more like soccer where it's like you're running around you can just be fast and athletic and you don't have to be an enormous hulking person who can just dominate the field with your size uh to to play the game i think you're exactly right and it's an also another way to almost kind of get uh you know just different demographics right from going from country to country is one thing but uh i know that uh, uh vanita crouch you know, she's going to be the, the coordinator for this game. And she's like a all-star NFL, not NFL, flag football player, right? And if there wasn't this medium, she wouldn't have had the opportunity to get directly involved with the NFL, right? So I think it's an overall opportunity to reach out to different demographics, different psychographics, different target markets, whether it be people of different gender or people of different from uh, who hail from a different country or anything like that. I think you're exactly right. It kind of eases its way into other markets. This is maybe a side note, but what's a psychographic? Psychographic is a target market made up from basically like psychological factors, attitudes towards certain things, cultural likings, etc. So if we had a psychographic of like active outdoor people, doesn't matter what you make, doesn't matter where you come from, right? That's a psychographic, a group of a target market based on a particular lifestyle or an attitude, if you will. Um, all right, we're going to let you go, but do you want to give us a pick for the Super Bowl? I think it's going to be Eagles. I can't give a score. I think it's going to be Eagles. Uh, Hurts seems unstoppable. So it, it pains me to say I'm a New Yorker, so I don't want to get any threats from New Yorkers, you know, but I think the Eagles are going to take it. Um, all right, Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. Really a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Owen. That was Dr. Brandon Brown with some excellent insights there. February is a cold, dismal month in much of the U.S., but it's one of the best months for sports. Obviously, we have the Super Bowl, but we also have the NBA trade deadline on February 9th. The NHL's is coming up on March 3rd, and MLB spring training is just around the corner. I'm already doing some fantasy baseball prep. That will do it for this episode of Front Office Sports Today. If you're enjoying this new show, please tell your friends. Tell me. I'm at Owen Poindexter on Twitter. Tell the good people at Apple Podcasts by leaving a rating or a review. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you Monday. 